0: A couple of weeks ago, I said to you that I wanted to tell you how much I appreciate your willingness to change with us on a regular basis and had intended to do that this morning as well. So when I finished the sermon on Wednesday morning, tried to take a couple of days to be with my family for our 4th of July celebration and our children who came in from out of town. Did not know until late Wednesday night that our governor issued a mandate that everyone was to wear a mask. And so obviously I've been doing that all over the campus, wanted to be sensitive to how I can come out here this morning. And as well, not have one when I preach. And uh, we're able to maintain a number of pieces of distance, so we're doing that. I am the one who told the worship team during the worship experience, during leading us not to wear a mask. So if uh, you have any concerns, you can certainly let me know that. We also said to you last Sunday morning that we would talk about children's ministry and what we were going to do for that. But in light of the new mandate, we'll know Wednesday what we're going to be able to do And how we can best adjust to that mandate based on how we can minister to children as well. So we appreciate or ask you to please be patient with us in that process. We all have different feelings and different opinions. Certainly I've heard them over the last number of weeks. We certainly have a a variety of opinions that have been spread all over the map in regards to the mask. We are uh, trying to do our best to that. I did find it interesting that if you would have followed that section of scripture that I was in for the last few weeks out of Romans chapter 12, you would notice that it immediately goes into not only our response to God, to one another in the family of God, but to those outside of faith. He immediately in chapter 13 talks about our response to the government and that he is the one who's established that and put it in place. He is the one that has the authority over that and we are to submit to that. Even if we don't agree, it's not even in the context of whether we agree or not. It just simply said, this is what I put in place. This is why. Otherwise, you have anarchy. And if you've seen anything over the news in the last few months, you know anarchy is not what we want. We want that structure in place. We also recognize in light of that and the fact that we are submit to those in authority over us, this church is not independent in and it of itself. We are responsible to a denomination in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. I am responsible to the leadership of our district as well. And they said, based on that new mandate, to the best of your ability, respond to that for this Sunday as we move forward and for the rest. So uh, I just want you to clearly understand that and the why. But regardless of our opinions on anything, we always want to make sure that we are directed by the Word of God and not what we think. Otherwise, we will be all over the map in regards to that. This is the weekend that we celebrate freedom. Certainly, that's what we did yesterday. And I know some of you are sitting there saying, really? Freedom? I get that. But this is the weekend that we celebrate freedom, and we did that yesterday, I'm sure, in a lot of context with a lot of family members. What I hope when you did that, that you did not forget or ever take for granted the price of that freedom and the price that so many were willing to pay for the freedoms that we so richly enjoy. You have no idea what it's like, maybe I don't have any idea what it's like, but I've certainly talked to a number of people in other places around the world, how blessed we are as a nation, even with all the misunderstandings and with all the disagreements and with all the political upheaval that we're in, we are in an incredible country because there are people this very day who are worshiping in silence underground somewhere because they are not allowed to do anything. So just keep that in mind as we do. The second thing we're going to do this morning is celebrate the freedom that Christ has given us and that we have in him. God so loved the world. God didn't just so love the church or love people who are doing right or doing well or doing what they think is the right thing. God so loved this world that he gave his one and only son. And when we come together this morning and celebrate communion, I want you to never, like me, ever, ever forget the price that God was willing to pay for the freedoms that you and I so richly enjoy in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're going to celebrate that this morning as well. A number of years ago, I was at a Promise Keepers event and 8B London, who is from Focus on the Family at that particular time, started by asking some very profound questions that made a lot of us think really deeply about some of those beliefs that we hold on to. The question simply was this. Did you ever wonder what would happen if we applied Scripture and it worked? Did you ever wonder what would happen if we applied Scripture and it worked? Now that seemed like a very unusual question until you understand where he was going in that particular context. So he said, for those of you, and he looked out through that mass audience, who are dispensationalists who believe that there was a period of time in religious history where God ceased to do some of the signs and wonders kinds of gifts at the end of the apostolic age where he no longer did the miraculous as he did during that apostolic period when the disciples were here on earth and the apostles continued that ministry so that when he feels, and some felt, or not him, but some felt that at the end of the apostolic age some of those signs and wonders gifts disappeared. Now, I don't believe that. The CNMA doesn't believe that, but there are many who teach that. He said that based on this. For those of you who believe that signs and wonders ended with the age of the apostles. And you come to James chapter 5. That says to pray over people when they are sick. Wouldn't it be great to know that God would respond to that when you pray? He went on with another profound question. And then led out of that. Out of 2nd Chronicles chapter 7. Where it says if my people who are called by my name will repent. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. The question is this. What would happen if we really applied that and it worked? If we did what God asked, would he do what he promised? If we did what God asked, would he do what he promised? And the answer to that question is what? Yes. Is there biblical precedent for that? And the question again is yes. Is God that concerned with a nation's condition and repentance? And again, the answer is yes. All through Scripture, you see God's intense interest in specific nations and cities and their repentance or their understanding that God is sovereign over the world. Not just specific places or specific cities or specific people, but God is sovereign over the world. (coughs) You see his judgment on other nations as the Israelites, his promised people, came into the promised land. And how God used them in that context. You see it upon cities like Jericho and Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre and Sidon and Babylon. The entire book of Jonah is focused on God's desire to have the city of Nineveh repent. And when the city of Nineveh repented, God withheld his judgment. The book of Jonah is written in that context. I am concerned, I am disappointed, I am seeing you go further and further away from who I am. If you do not repent, I will pour out judgment. He sent Jonah to the land of Nineveh with that very message. Jonah knew what God would do and knew God would recant his judgment if indeed they repented, so he went his own direction and went his own way. That's what the book is all about, as he ends up in the belly of a fish. He then goes after that speaks to the city of Nineveh, they do repent, God withholds his judgment. You see, Jesus in the New Testament, weeping over the city of Jerusalem, if you only knew, if you only knew who was in your midst, you would recognize that God loves you and God is passionate over you. You see Paul preaching to the city of Athens. You're running in so many different directions, looking for so many different gods, when the God of the universe has been here all along, and you've somehow gone your own direction, and you're ultimately going to pay a price for that. All reminders of God's incredibly intense desire for nations to understand who He is and come to the point of a recognition of that and come to the point of repentance and an acknowledgement that God is who He says He is. For the last number of years, and certainly over the last number of weeks, people have asked over and over again, so where does the nation of America fit into all of that? Where does the United States fit into the context of all of that? It's a question that dozens and dozens and dozens of people have been exploring for years. And then over the last number of months, when we've come under so many different mandates and pandemics and a response to that and all of the unrest in the world around us, Christians have been saying over again, this has to be the time when God finally returns. This has to be the end of the age. The signs and wonders that I see all over the world, God says, you've got to be aware, you've got to recognize, you've got to make sure that you're ready because I am going to return. And then they have all said, and many have said, this has to be the start of that, right? Right? I don't know. What I do know is that Jesus is going to return. I am absolutely certain of that. That God is going to come to a point of saying enough is enough. I will pour out my judgment on this world, not a specific nation, not this one gets it, that one gets left out. I will pour out my judgment on the world and I will destroy it as it is. And I will have a new heaven and a new earth which Revelation 21 describes. So for decades and decades, people have tried to define, based on the signs of the times, when is that going to take place? What will it be? This has to be the sign. This has to be the end. Jesus is going to come back certainly soon, right? And the answer is yes. What I don't know is the time and the place. He clearly told us that 2,000 years ago. So quit trying to predict, based on what we think we know, it's going to happen. Because he said, I will come, if you're not careful, like a thief in a night when you least expect it. So you better be ready. And you better be living it. Not just declaring it or saying it or acknowledging it that God exists. But you better be living it. Because I will return. And I will come back. Now America's been built on the context that man is the master of his own destiny. That through science and technology and government, we can create a world where everything is okay and everything is fine. We can be the masters of our own destiny. We can have everyone believe whatever they want to believe, be absolutely tolerant of everything. And religion is okay as long as we keep it in the closet of our own home, but never bring it out into the street. The problem with that is there is no way to have a private God. When the God of the universe that we worship is in the person of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, who is the fact of history, and demands that he is God of all, not just a God in our closets at home or in the context of a church, as long as we're okay in here. And at times that puts us in a conflict between the value system of a culture that says we can do whatever we want, as long as we feel it's okay in our own minds. And if we're not careful, even as followers of Jesus, we can get a little bit comfortable in that context when it pushes God out completely. A secular society simply cannot survive. Chuck Colson, who began Prison Fellowship a number of years ago, said too often we believers in Christ want to go out and do everything we can to try to clean up the world and do everything around us, which are all incredible and things that we ought to do, but unless they proceed out of who we are, they won't work. We as God's people cannot give what we do not have. We cannot impart values that we do not hold. We cannot do until we are, which is what Romans 12 is all about. Because unless it begins here and it fleshes itself out in here and then goes out in the world, we have lost our value, we have lost our hope, and this world has nothing to look at because they'll try to figure it out on their own. And you remove, remove God and his word and the society around will crumble because there are no basis for character, no basis for ethics, no values that we can point to. We find ourselves being a compass without a north, without any direction at all. And we end up spinning round and round. So how do we change society? Well, it won't be by government, regardless of their promises. It won't even be by education or business, and certainly not by the media. Our hope rests, many of us believe, in two institutions. Two that God has defined from the beginning of time. Two that God has displayed. Two that God continues to point to all the way through Scripture. The family structure and the followers of Christ. The family, no higher duty you and I have as followers of Christ than to raise our children in the way of God's values and God's kingdom to teach them an understanding of the word of God and how to live that out every day of their life. This world is desperately in need of healthy, strong marriages and healthy, strong families. Not perfect ones, because they won't be but healthy, strong marriages and healthy, strong families, to let them know that our foundation in Christ really does make a difference. Now what the world will tell you is that 50% of marriages fail in and outside the church. And it's not true. Statistically speaking, those who really do understand who Christ is and live that out in their home and in their marriage and their relationship with their kids. Children have such an incredibly higher success rate than the world will ever tell you, which simply means Jesus works. in our lives, in our relationships and in our family. The second institution is, as we have been sharing over the last three weeks, the church, not the building but this family of God who really does understand the Word of God and determines more than anything else to live it out, here and out there. And if these mandates divide us as a church of God, we have nothing to offer. Church is not a social club. It's not a place where people feel good. Not a self help group, not a building. It is the people of God living out the truth of God in the middle of a decaying society who is desperate for answers. That <laughs> Jesus said 2,000 years ago, You have the answer. You're the salt. You're the light. You can make a difference. The world can look at us who are followers of Christ to say, There are people of truth. There are people who live the convictions of the truth of the word of God. They are people who are not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Not good works for the sake of good works, but good works out of gratitude for the one who has given them so much. Who are servant people who pour themselves out. Who are transformed, not conformed to the world, but transformed. Who see the world through the eyes of God and sees the world through the Word of God and measures everything by what they see in the Word of God, not their opinions or their feelings or their thoughts, but what they see in the Word of God and how then that fleshes itself out into the world around us. What happens to a nation? What happens to a people who once they've been freed from bondage are given their freedom? Normally two responses. One is incredible gratitude Or the other one, after they finally feel that freedom and enjoy it on their own, that if they're not careful, they begin to think that by their own ingenuity and strength, they have gotten where they are and they forget about God and what He has done. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God gives the Israelites a very stern warning and a very stern prediction. He said, my fear is that you will come to a point after you have understood and seen what I have done to the nation of Egypt, after I have rescued you from that bondage, after I've given you everything that you could possibly want. My fear is that you will forget what you were, what I did, and who you are now. And I find it fascinating that when we celebrate communion and Jesus holds these two elements to his disciples, And he demonstrates it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and and Paul reiterates it in Corinthians. He said, every time you do this, I want you to remember. I want you to remember the price I paid. I've given you my all. I've shed my blood. I want you to remember what I have done so that you never forget. As a new believer, and I found myself so rescued by Jesus, I wonder, how could we ever forget? And if we're not careful, it's easy to do. To do it out of habit and repetition and forget that we have been bought and paid for by the price of the Son of God. And we never want to take that for granted. God's designed for the nation of Israel that they were a positive influence on the world around them and instead they were the opposite. Instead of influencing, they became influenced because God has always had his people here for influence. He never wants us to somehow slink off into the stage of history, live out our days and quietly make an exit without making any contribution to the world now and for eternity. Paul said in Ephesians, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. That's the reason that we're here. He has an intention for our lives, yours and mine. He has prepared us, called us, saved us, and gifted us to make a difference in this world, to make an impact. Sadly, some have lost sight of that purpose. Convinced that we can't do anything, others deciding not to do anything, we fold our hands and become spectators of the times. Instead of being influencers, we've been influenced if we're not careful. Instead of setting the pace, some can barely keep up with it. We know there's evil in the world, we want to change it, but we don't even know where to start. So, pastor, would you please tell us where do we begin and where do we go? I don't have the answers for all of those, nor do I have the time. We'd be here till Jesus does come back. But I'm telling you, the best place to begin that we're going to do physically this morning is on our knees before a holy God. Because as you see on the screen, I would rather be a humble nation and a humble people before a holy God than a proud nation and a proud people before an angry God. I would much rather be a humble person and a humble nation before a holy God than a proud nation and a proud people before an angry God. Tucked away in the middle of the Old Testament is a fascinating section of Scripture. I won't read it all to you this morning just because of the context of time. But so often if we read Genesis in the beginning and we read Psalms because we love the Psalms, and I absolutely love the Psalms, we'll miss some of the intricacies of God's interaction with the people of Israel. There's an intriguing one in 2 Kings chapter 22. It's a story of an 8-year-old boy who becomes a king of the nation of Judah. And somewhere in his late 20s, he recognizes that they have been far away from God. So he sends out a mandate for the people who are supposed to be the ones to be the leaders spiritually of the people and says, somewhere, somewhere along the way, we have lost our compass, we have lost our direction Somewhere there's got to be direction for us in the Word of God. And so he sends them out to find it, and then they do. When he comes back and begins to read some of those things that I said to you a moment ago about God's declaration of the nation of Israel and the fact that they are to be influencers and not influenced, the fact that they are to be the ones to demonstrate to the world how incredible God is and what it's like to follow Him, instead they've gone another direction and began to follow other idols. And when this young king in his 20s recognizes that, he rips his robe, gets on his knees before Almighty God and repents of what they have done and where they have been. And he recognized that God was going to bring disaster on the nation of Israel if they didn't do that. Because they had forsaken me, he said in verse 17 of that chapter. They burn incense to other gods. They've aroused my anger by all the idols they've made with their own hands. And now my anger is burning. But tell the king of Judah because he understood that. And he repented and he responded. And he humbled himself before God. And he's wept in my presence. I have heard and I will withhold my judgment. What would happen if the people of God obeyed the word of God? And did what he asked. Would he do what he promised? Even with all our issues, I am absolutely certain that the United States is one of the greatest nations on earth. If you've ever been to other countries, if you've ever been to other places, you read what's going on in some of the other contexts around the world, we are still, with all of our issues and all of our problems, one of the greatest nations on earth. But we do have our problems. And they're huge. We are divided over so many things, it's even hard to keep track We are divided over political stands, we're we're divided over ethnicity, we're divided over race, we're divided over our response to the latest virus. The Supreme Court that so many of us as followers of Christ had hoped would at least understand its foundation has redefined marriage, they've expanded civil rights to include sexual orientation and gender identity, and they have left doubt that abortion will ever be addressed and ever end. We are, as I said, like a spinning compass without direction. Over these last few months, we have all been reminded how fragile our freedoms are, and I get that. I feel like our hope for survival is dependent on our response to who God is and what His Word says. Two weeks ago, I was putting a message together and finishing it and spending some time listening to the voice of God and in other ways, and in a most unusual way, God led me to a declaration or a statement or a speech by, of all people, Ben Franklin, written June 28, 1787. And the basic synopsis is this. After the nation was just founded, the nation of the United States was just founded, and they were wrestling with our future and how do we get through, he said, Mr. President, I just need you to understand, for the last number of weeks, we have tried to reason together on our own thinking, and methinks it's melancholy proof of the fact that we cannot figure it out on our own. We want to run from everything and do everything and try to find out our own decision based on our own ingenuity, and we find ourselves still coming up empty, barely able to somehow understand who we are, and certainly not humble as we once began and we once started to be under the hand of Almighty God. Even at the beginning of this nation, we sought His direction and guidance every day of our lives, and now we have come to the conclusion that we think we can do it on our own. Have we ever forgotten? Have we forgotten where we were and the fact that we sought His guidance every day? We now come to the point of trying to believe that we're doing it on our own. And I am convinced of this, that God governs the affairs of humanity. That if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it's probable that an empire cannot survive or rise without his aid. Scriptures tell us that except the Lord build a house, the laborers labor in vain. And I am convinced that we cannot do this without him. And we cannot survive without seeking his face. We've been divided over everything. Written 220 some years, 40 years ago. Our projects are confounded. We have left to our own desires. And we have seen that none of that worked. We do it all by human wisdom. Leaving it to chance, war and conquest. I beg you, he says. That we understand that without God. And seeking his face every day, we will not survive. I think we're at the same place. All through human history, kings and presidents, rulers and queens and dictators have come and gone. They sent their subjects out to die for a number of causes. But there is one king who didn't send his subjects out to die. Instead, he died for his subjects. He is the king who reigns today, and it's him that we commit ourselves to be a holy people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people of God's own choosing. And without him, we have no hope. But because of him, we have the answer to what the world is so desperately looking for. And it's in Christ. What I'm going to ask you to do this morning is two simple things. One is going to be a little bit more difficult than you could think, though. You remember the old days in school when a teacher said, don't pick up your pencil, don't pick up your paper, don't turn it over until I give you all the directions, and you think, well, I can figure that out. I don't need that, and I get that. But I'm telling you, we want to do communion in a very healthy way, as best as we know how, and this is the best we know how at this point. But for you to get to the bread that's on the top, You need to peel only the plastic first and it's sometimes a little bit difficult to find if you're as old as me and don't have your reading glasses with you. So work very hard at just taking off the plastic first which will reveal the bread to you and then once you do that, take that bread, hold it in your hands, no one else is touching it, then peel back the aluminum foil which will reveal to you the cup. Dave is going to lead us in a verse of How Great Thou Art. And then we're going to spend just a couple of moments before the second verse sharing communion. So it gives you that chance to do all of that. To when you're ready, take the bread and take the cup. And then we're going to sing, they're going to sing the second verse. And I'm going to kneel on the stage and ask if you can physically. If you can, I understand that. Kneel on your heart. I'm going to kneel on the stage. I'm going to ask you to kneel if you can. And we're going to do what God said. We're going to humble ourselves and pray. And what I'm going to ask you to do is confess your sins, whatever they may be. You and the Spirit of God know what they are. And then I will lead us in prayer. Father, we take these emblems in our hands and we recognize as unusual as they are, they still represent the most significant event in the history of humanity. And that your love for the world is so deep and so profound that you gave your all so that we can have life and have it forever. So we partake of this wafer and we drink of this juice that reminds us of your body and your sacrifice for us. So hear our hearts and our love for you as we do. And then hear our prayers as we come on our face before you. They will sing while you partake and you lead. And when That God, a son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that Father, the platform I have is my family here at Community Alliance, those who are watching online today. So we come humbly before you. Love this nation. I love this land, but I'm so concerned for what's going to happen. And so we as your people obey your word, and we come humbly before you, and we bow, we ask you to forgive us so hear our hearts forgive us for our sins for our nation's sins pride racism and the list is endless father I could go on for a long time forgive us and we're begging you to heal us rise and fall you're the one in charge so we submit to your lordship we submit to your hand we submit to your sovereignty for this nation and this world we're absolutely convinced that you will return between now and then whenever that may be would you find us as the people of God living out the truth of God's word, doing everything we can to show those around us that Jesus is the answer they're looking for. And so we humbly submit to you in your name. Amen. When Christ shall come with shout. take me home, what joy shall fill my heart, then I, I shall die.